Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of BU with Declan Edwards. Now, you'd know by now that I'm always excited for these episodes, but I'm particularly excited for this one. If you were listening to last week's episode where I brought in the amazing Chris Warren and interviewed him about his perspective on Kilimanjaro and what he took away from that mountain and that trip, then you're going to love this episode. This episode is going to be me going deep into the five key lessons and breakthroughs that I had on Mount Kilimanjaro a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's so much that I took from that mountain that I didn't realize I'd take. I thought I was just going over there for a nice, you know, two-week safari holiday and then one week just walking up a mountain and that would be fine. What I didn't realize was how much that mountain would push me and challenge me physically, mentally, and emotionally. And as a result of that challenge, how much I would grow and develop as an individual. So I've had so many people messaging me since I got home from Africa asking, you know, how was the trip? What did you learn from it? What did you gain? And I ended up just telling this story so many times that I said, okay, well, I'm going to put this into a podcast episode so everyone can listen to this and can learn from the challenges and the struggles that I faced. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into it. And I'm going to teach you and share with you the five key breakthroughs that I learnt on Africa's highest mountain. So most of the lessons I'm going to be sharing with you this episode all came on summit night. So just to quickly summarize the trip before we deep dive into the five big breakthroughs I had on the mountain and and the realizations that I've taken home with me. For those who haven't climbed Kilimanjaro before or looked into climbing it, it's Africa's highest mountain. It's coming up around that 5,900 meter mark. And that poses a lot of problems in itself with low oxygen, with temperature, with high winds, like adapting to that altitude is of itself a massive challenge for the body to do physically. But when you start combining that with the fact that it's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world, so it's not part of a mountain range, that means that from the day you start walking, it's all uphill until you reach the top. There's no respite, there's no downhill sections, there's no acclimatization of going over other mountains to get to there, it's just straight up. And you knock it over very quickly. So we were averaging 4,000 vertical meters um, per day over the trip. So yeah, 1,000 vertical meters per day over the trip. So going up 1,000 vertical meters, which is insane. That is a massive ask on the body. So every single day we're walking quite far in that altitude. So it's very taxing on the body. And over time that starts to become taxing on the mind. And, you know, I began to see that in the trip. Day one, everyone's cheery, all's good. We're looking happy. By day three, you know, we're all starting to be more quiet and reserved to get stuck in our head as we're walking. Um, A few of the team are starting to get quite sick from the altitude. A few of the team are really starting to feel the stress of that many kilometers on their knees and ankles. And what this mountain does very well is slowly start chipping away at what you've got in the tank physically, emotionally, and mentally. And then you reach base camp. And base camp to summit is a whole new story. It's, it's almost like a whole different mountain. Now, I remember saying to Jordan on the way to base camp, I was like, I mean, this is hard, but I don't know how people fail at this. Like, this isn't that hard. 
And then it's like Killy heard me say it and turned it on for, for Summit Night. The walk from base camp to Summit is by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It, most of what I'm going to share with you today on the podcast are lessons that I took in that final five kilometer section of the hike. Um, now, to put in perspective, that five kilometer section doesn't sound like much. You know, most people go, I can run five kilometers in, you know, 30, 40 minutes. That five kilometers took us five and a half hours to cover. And as I share with you the breakthroughs I had in that five kilometers on the way to Summit, you'll understand why. It is, as I said, by far one of the hardest things I've done in my life. So four out of the five uh, uh, breakthroughs I'm going to share in this episode occurred in that final five kilometers. But before we get to that, I'll share the one that really was a, a big lesson for me over the course of the trip leading up to base camp and the summit attempt. So the first lesson I want to share with you guys is that humor and playfulness make such a massive difference in energy levels, especially in a group. And this is really important because when we look at things like our careers, our relationships, our emotional well-being, they're normally topics that people take so seriously. Right? Like, don't get me wrong, emotional well-being is a very important and serious topic. But if we just approach it from a place of being serious all the time, it's not enjoyable. No one wants to do that. No one wants to get involved with it. Whereas when we approach it with playfulness and lightheartedness and humor, well, now it's got that little bit more enjoyment to it, so people are going to do it more. And this is something that we integrated into the trip. Um, we, you know, we adopted it from a previous expedition I'd done to climb to Everest Base Camp with the amazing Sebastian Terry from 100 Things and a group of amazing people. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, and one thing that I took from that trip was we had a, a hat, a beanie of Olaf the Snowman, and the carrot would dangle right in the middle of your forehead and bounce as you walked. So we playfully called that hat the dick of the day hat. And every night when we would reach our camp on the way up to base camp, we would have a tribal council where we would nominate people who'd done something foolish or funny that day and then vote. And whoever got the most votes would wear the dick of the day hat the whole next day. And we did the same thing for this trip. Now, if you don't know, the unofficial mascot here at BU is Barry the Unicorn. So we bought a unicorn hat and again, the horn sat right in the middle of people's forehead and bounced. Uh, so we, again, had a dick of the day hat. And it was just something that was quite enjoyable at the end of a day. It was pretty difficult doing these long walks. To sit down in the mess tent, have some hot chocolate together, and just laugh. And, and bring some playfulness and lightheartedness to the situation. You know, on top of that, when that playfulness and humor is combined with gratitude. So we'd do our tribal council where we'd nominate people for dick of the day. Uh, and then from there, we'd go into a gratitude circle where we'd just express gratitude for people who'd made that day better, be it, you know, porters, guides, one of the other crew, uh, crew one of the team who was there trekking with us, um, or even just expressing gratitude for something that was happening in the day. Like maybe the weather was really good that day, or we really enjoyed that part of the walk. When we start coming at challenges and facing challenges with playfulness and with gratitude, I believe we're able to adapt a lot better and we, we actually enjoy the challenge more. And that's a practice that's not just applicable to climbing high mountains, but to any challenge you face in life. When a challenge is coming your way, do you take it really seriously? 
and, and, and very rigid? Or do you bring a sense of playfulness and humor to it and a, and a sense of gratitude to the challenge? Because that's where you're going to grow. So that was the first lesson I really took from, from Killy was just bringing that playfulness and that gratitude. I know there was days there where I was really, really feeling it and really exhausted and being part of that gratitude circle in the tribal nominations for Dick of the Day. And I know you're wondering, yes, I, I ended up wearing it one day. Um, that's something that I'm going to take for life. And I'm going to remember that whenever I'm facing challenges. So I invite you to do the same. Now, with that said, let's move ahead to the four breakthroughs I had on the way from base camp to summit. So the second lesson, and it was one that I was starting to, to realize a little bit on the way to base camp, but it became remarkably apparent between base camp and summit, is that teamwork makes the dream work. Now, I'm the first to admit that I, I do tend to be uh, fiercely independent to the point of a fault where I don't like asking people for help all that much. It's something I've been learning to work on within myself over the last year. I don't like letting go of control. Again, something I've been getting coached on uh, with my coaches. For me on that mountain, you know, especially when I have these identity things coming in of, okay, well, I've brought people here. I'm the leader. I have to have all my shit together. You know, I've got to be um, the best performing person on the mountain. I've got to inspire everyone else. What was happening was I was neglecting how I was feeling, and I was starting to really struggle with the altitude. Um, that became painfully apparent to me between base camp and summit. I, I distinctly remember part way up uh, up the walk, the sunset, and we all turn around and watch the sunset over the clouds. Now, Kili is above the cloud line, so we are far above the clouds. All you can see when you look around is just this sea of clouds. It's amazing. We're watching this sunset, and within half an hour of the sun setting, I remember getting so, so cold so quickly, and I started freaking out because I was started, I was freezing. I was just in a normal spray jacket, you know, gloves, thermals, hiking pants, but I wasn't, I didn't have a good fleece on. The fleece was in my bag, and I was starting to get cold. I was struggling with my breathing. The altitude was really kicking in. And I went to get my jacket out, and for the first time in many, many years of my life, I had a panic attack. I couldn't find my jacket, and then when I did find it, I couldn't get my arm through the sleeve, and I started running all these thoughts of, you know, I'm going to freeze, like this is, it was, I was really freaking out, and my breathing was getting really intense, and I'll never forget turning around and Chris standing there and just grabbing me, looking me in the eyes and saying, mate, focus on me, slow your breathing, Let's do this together. And you know, he helped guide my arm into the fleece. And I don't think he realizes how important that moment was to me. But then that continued all the way up. You know, there were times when I was walking where five times on the way to summit, my body physically gave out. I just absolutely collapsed onto the ground. I felt like I had nothing left to give. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I was lying there, bawling my eyes out, howling in like just emotional and physical pain. Um, and Chev would come up and kneel over me and, and check in and say, oh, you know, are you okay? How are you feeling? How do we you know, keep moving together? And you know, what I came to realize is the biggest challenges we face in life, it's foolish to try and take them on on our own. 
You know, doing it with the team was one of the best things I could have done, and I'm so grateful for every single member of the team who came with us, not just in the people who are climbing with us and traveling with us, but especially to our support team as well. You know, For nine people to climb the mountain, we had 35 support team between our porters, our guides, our chefs, you know, our, our kitchen hands. We had 35 locals supporting nine of us to the top. And that's amazing. And I think a big realization I had was I can't be cocky when facing a challenge. You know, it, it's, I think the classic saying is if we want to go fast, go alone. But if we want to go far, go with a group. And for me, I had to take a step back and realize that asking for help, it's something that I teach everyone else. You know, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being efficient and effective. So being able to to get draw upon the strength, the emotional and physical strength of the rest of the team when I needed it the most, uh, and then likewise be able to give back and support people when they were struggling, I think that culture, that vibe, that approach, it really cemented me the value of a really supportive social network and and being surrounded by great people who support you through through the face of challenge. Um, so with that said, let's move on to lesson three that I took from the mountain. So the third lesson I really took from from Kili, especially on the way to the summit, or really that, that last day, and I'm going to get into that last day uh, in a moment and explain what was so challenging about like why it got 20 times harder in one day. It was like someone just flicked a switch on the difficulty level. But a big lesson I took away was this idea of failing to prepare means we must prepare to fail. So in the lead up to Everest Base Camp two years ago, I worked my ass off to be ready for that trip. I was doing altitude training. I was getting really fit. I was hiking two or three times a week. I was making sure I was in the best possible position to be successful before I went. As a result, my body adapted really well to the Himalayas. Like I took no altitude medication. I didn't really experience much altitude sickness. I got to base camp. You know, it was a challenge, but I got there pretty comfortably. And what happened then is when we booked in Kilimanjaro, I foolishly started telling myself I didn't need to do anything to get ready for it. I got cocky, I got arrogant, I got, you know, I called upon previous success, not realizing that A, had been a big gap of time in between, and B, every challenge is a different challenge. Like I know I said to our guide by the first nights, I said, you know, don't worry, I'm not worried about this mountain. I've done Everest Base Camp. And he looked at me and said, yes, but every mountain's a different mountain. And I didn't get it until we were on our way to the summit. And boy, was he right. And what I realized is that uh, realistically in life, we, we need to prepare for every challenge that we face. If we know that we have a challenge coming up. Now, I don't mean over-preparing and over-worrying and being like, oh my God, there's 10,000 possible challenges that might come my way. It's more about if you know there's a challenging situation coming up on your horizon, do something about it. It's it's only when we take action and we start practicing and preparing that we can actually adapt to it. And that was my biggest mistake. I didn't do that this time. I went over just on willpower and cockiness alone without preparing myself. And I think there's a great saying that prior uh, preparation prevents piss poor performance. Now, I'm not saying my performance was piss poor, but it definitely was, wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I think the struggle with that is, A, I didn't prepare for the challenge in the way I could have or, or would have liked to in hindsight. And B, when we don't prepare for the challenge, it makes us less adaptable 
in the face of it because challenges are tricky little things. Uh, they never go the way we plan, right? If a challenge went exactly as planned, it would be so easy to adapt to it and overcome it. Um, but the biggest challenges we face in life, they're the ones that throw curveballs, right? When you think you know what's going on, everything changes. And that's what happened for us with Kilimanjaro. So that final day, to give you some insight into it, we started at the base of, of another mountain nearby called Mount Mwenzi or Mwenzi Peak. And from there, it was going to be a 15-kilometer walk to base camp. Now, the original plan was we'll walk to base camp, we'll have lunch, we'll go straight to sleep, we'll be woken up at midnight, and we'll make an uh, attempt at summit from there, so we're up there for sunrise. Now, the drawbacks of that are when it's dark, it's cold, it's windier, it's more demoralizing to climb, it's more taxing on like people emotionally to climb in the, in the nighttime when they can't see and they're just walking by headlight. Um, but the plus side is obviously we get that sleep in between, we get that rest and that recovery time. So that was the original plan. Now, in my head, that meant that the faster I got to base camp, the more rest I would get, the more prepared I'd be for the summit attempt. So I went hard that day, and I think a lot of the group did go hard that day. It got to the point where for the last 20, 30 minutes or so, I don't really recall the last 20, 30 minutes of walking to base camp. I'm pretty sure I was asleep whilst walking. I was in a complete daze. Um, again, Chris told me uh, at a later date that I apparently passed him on that day because he'd pulled over to talk to one of the guides, and my head was down, my eyes were closed, I was just non-existent to the world. So I pushed everything I had to get to base camp and then we sat down had lunch and I went awesome I can now sleep I can rest I can recover I'll be good to go at midnight for the summit but one of our our, our head guides pulled aside one of our team uh, Vanessa because I was in the mess tent having a, a group conversation so I wasn't there and he basically just said to her look three of the group aren't going to be allowed to attempt a summit uh, a summit climb if we go at midnight because two of them are struggling with altitude sickness too much and one of them is injured and you know slightly rolled ankle she's more likely to roll her ankle again if we go at night because she can't see the rocks um so he said i'm not going to let three of the team climb if we go at night time and, and that's fair he was doing it for our own safety and our own protection i really admire that um so vanessa did something which I, I really admire and respect. And, you know, talking about calling upon team and teamwork makes the dream work, I really respect how much she stepped up as a leader here um, when I was basically dead to the world. She came into the tent and broke the news to everyone and said, we basically have two options from what the guides told us. We can either wait till midnight, go to bed now, as originally planned, sleep, recover, and go, which is definitely what my heart wanted. Um, but the draw side of those three people wouldn't be allowed to attempt summit. And that wasn't fair for them. Uh, the other option was we would leave immediately. We would start going for the summit straight away to try and get up there before the sun sets and then come back down uh, in the dark. And when I heard that option, my heart sank. I know a few of the other members, their heart sank as well. A few people cried uh, like around that. And it was just such a curveball that I think none of us were ready for, especially after pushing ourselves so hard that day, that it really blindsided us so at the end of the day, it was the fairest option to go to democratic vote, which I think was the right move. And we all voted and the vote passed for us to make an attempt immediately. So, you know, within 30 minutes of being like, okay, I'm dead, let's go to bed and sleep and then go for an attempt. We're getting gear on 
frantically packing our bags, the guides yelling, five minutes to leave, five minutes to leave, getting everyone ready. It's absolute chaos. And before I know it, we're going. Now, as I said, fail, like failing to prepare is preparing to fail. But if we don't prepare for challenges beforehand, if we don't get ourselves in the best place physically, mentally, emotionally before a challenge, it's harder for us to adapt to the curveballs that it throws. Like that last day changed entirely from the original plan. And that was so taxing on me physically, uh, emotionally, and mentally because I hadn't prepared prior to the trip. So... You know, it's such a big realization for me now to go, okay, if I know that there's a challenging time coming up that I can foresee, what am I doing now to get ready for it? Let's not rely on cockiness. Let's not rely on arrogance. Let's not rely on you've done this before, so it's going to be easy again because every challenge is a different challenge. Every mountain is a different mountain. So let's move now into the, the two biggest takeaways, the ones that hit me the most, I think were some of the most profound, and they occurred in that last hundred vertical meters of Kilimanjaro. So before I get into these last two breakthroughs, let me give you a run through of the final hundred vertical meters. The sun has gone down about an hour and a half ago and the temperatures dropped dramatically. Uh, we're all starting to freeze and we're all definitely starting to feel the altitude. You know, some of the group are throwing up. Um, I think every single person in the group sat down at one point and was like, nah, I'm not going any further. And it really just started to hit us. It got quite taxing. Now, as I already told you, I had that moment right when the sun was starting to set where I got really cold and I had a panic attack. In that last 100 vertical meters, I collapsed five times. I went into full shock once. I had two panic attacks. And there were at least two occasions where I thought I was going to die on that mountain. And I don't say that lightly. It was it was the scariest, most overwhelming, most challenging thing I've ever experienced. And you know, from that difficulty, I was talking to someone about the other day, almost like a case of post-traumatic growth. Now, we all know about PTSD, but they've also started studying post-traumatic growth where people go through something so demanding that just breaks them down emotionally, mentally, and physically but as a result, they grow from it afterwards. And I, looking back, that's the only way I can describe how I felt and, and what I think happened to me on that mountain. You know, so many times I collapsed and lay down, face down in the dirt, crying, like howling in pain. And I remember rolling over and just saying to people, keep going, go without me, go to the summit, leave me here, I'm done. I've got nothing left. There is nothing in the tank. And... A couple of times, Chev would come up and support me, and you know, this is something I'm telling people now, is I've, I've, I've left that trip feeling more in love with my wife than I ever have before because I was privileged enough to see a whole other side to her. You know, traditionally in our relationship, I've been the strong one who supports her, and if I'm struggling, she gets overwhelmed, she doesn't know how to help, and so we both end up struggling. That was the first time in our, in our marriage, in our whole relationship, where I was really struggling, and she stepped up and was the strong one and really supported me through it. I wouldn't have made it as far as I did without her love and support. But, you know, she's, she's kneeling down saying to me, is it physical or is it, is it mental? And I had no idea anymore. I just thought I'd been running on empty for so long, I had nothing left to give. You know, I remember just telling people, like, this is it. I'm done. When I went into shock, I was lying there, rugged up in all my gear, violently shaking and they were saying, are you cold? Are you cold? And I was muttering, no, I'm warm. And they couldn't understand why I was shaking. And it was Jordan saying, he's going into shock. Like his, his body's 
shutting down. And they said, when did you last eat? And chefs told them he hasn't eaten since lunch. And so they start, they lay me down, they're squirting juice into my mouth to get sugars into me and they're putting chocolate bits in my mouth. And I remember not being able to chew the chocolate. Like that was such an effort for my body. That's how exhausted I was. I just had nothing left to chew the chocolate. So it was just falling out of my mouth. They'd put these squares of chocolate in and it would just fall out onto the dirt. So, you know, this is breaking point for me. I've never been at that point before. And... I'm saying I'm done, there's nothing left to give. And I'll never forget, Jordan basically crawls up to me, lies down in the dirt next to me. We're looking at each other and I have this moment of, why the fuck are we here? Like, why did we do this? Why do we bring people here? This mountain is hell. And I remember him saying to me, in classic Jordan fashion, if you have the energy to complain, you have the energy to crawl. Now, I didn't come all this way to make the summit without you, so you better start crawling. Because I know you don't have any energy to walk, but you can crawl. So, I like let out this howl, and I, I start crawling, you know, about five meters, and I collapse again under the weight of my bag, and the guides say, look, you can go, you can reach your goal um, and let go of your pride and your ego, or you can keep your bag on your back just to say that you didn't ask for help and not make it and again it's part of that lesson of learning that teamwork makes the dream work I went you know what they're right so I let go of my bag left it behind one of the porters took it and again I'm eternally grateful to those porters for what they do like going up that high and and helping and carrying all the stuff is amazing but I started crawling again and then eventually I, I pulled myself up on a rock and stood and I'd stumble about five to ten steps and then collapse again And I kept doing that over and over and over and over and over and over again until we reached Gilman's Point, which is the first summit on the mountain. So Kilimanjaro has three summits. There's Gilman's Point, which is the top. It's the crater. And then you can do an extra hour to an hour and a half walk around the crater rim to reach Uhuru Point, which is the highest point officially on the mountain. And our goal was in our head, get to Gilman's Point. Most people don't even make it to Gilman's, they make it to base camp, attempt Gilman's and turn back. So we went, if we can get to Gilman's, we stood on top of the mountain, that's amazing. It's a cherry on top, it's a bonus to go for a huru. But I'll talk about that in a moment. So for me, I'm lying there and I'm, I kept going, kept going, kept going. What I realise now looking back is there is always more to give. There's always more in the tank. The mind will give out a thousand times before the body does. And I'd never understood that before until that moment and that point where I was so dead like just just going into shock just body shutting down just like absolutely done like some of the like crying that happened on that mountain for me was the most emotional roar and painful tears I've shed in my life and for me to to come back and to go well hang on through all of that through that trauma through that struggle through that pain through those breakdowns I still kept going even when So many times I told myself I had nothing left to give. It was impossible for me to keep moving. There's always more in the tank. We just need to be able to find it and to draw upon it to keep us moving forward. And it doesn't have to be about moving forward in leaps and bounds. It can be moving forward, crawling and crying into the dirt. But we're still moving forward. I think that's a very valuable lesson for myself to take through the rest of my life, but for you guys as well. So with all that said, let's look at the last 
big breakthrough I had on the mountain. And this, the last one is the most profound. It's the one that shocked me the most. It's the one I didn't expect to happen on the mountain. Uh, and I think it's the one that's made the biggest impact to me as a man. So let's jump into it. So I've already told you that two years ago I went to Everest Base Camp. And part of the reason I went to Everest Base Camp was A, to climb to Everest Base Camp with the man that I look at as my first unofficial mentor or coach in life, Sebastian Terry, but also because I wanted to push myself and I wanted to start training for a goal that I'd set when I was 17. So when I was 17 years old, I started watching documentaries about Mount Everest. I started watching um, movies about climbers. I started reading books of first-hand accounts from people who climbed to the highest point in the world. And I said, that's something I'm going to do by the time I'm 30. By the time I'm 30, I'll have touched the summit of Everest. I've gone to the highest point in the world. I became fascinated with it. And so a few years later, when the opportunity came up to go to Everest Base Camp, I jumped at it. What I found out from Everest Base Camp, because that fueled me more, I was like, man, there's the summit, it's right there, this is going to be great, let's go for it, very keen to come back and make an attempt. I found out that the best companies don't allow you to go for Everest Summit unless you've done two high mountains beforehand and a training course. So I basically went perfect. I've got my whole 20s sewn up. I know exactly what I'm doing for my 20s to be able to make an attempt uh, at Everest Summit by the time I'm 30. I need to go do Kilimanjaro, Mount Denali in Alaska, and a high altitude training course in New Zealand. So I'm going to save for those and, and go do them. So for me, Kilimanjaro was an awesome trip to take as our first company, you know, BU retreat, because A, it's something that I knew would push and challenge people to grow, but B, uh, from, you know, a, a personal perspective, I was like, well, this is something that's on my list to do anyway to help me get to Everest. And it's interesting thinking that because my goal going to Kili was I will make the top no matter what. And by the top, I mean Uhuru Peak, the highest point in Africa. No matter what, that's where I will stand. And so when the summit kicked me in the face so hard and humbled me so effectively, I've already told you I came in quite cocky, I found myself reevaluating um, my goal. You know, the goal went from I'll make a Huru point no matter what to I'll be stoked if I make Gilman's and stand at the crater. And then it became, I'm just going to try and make it to the next boulder that I can see. Then it became, I'm just going to try and take five more steps. And it became, I'm just going to try and crawl. What I quickly realized is, is breaking big goals down to small goals is the way we move. When I started walking from base camp, my eyes were on, Gilman's point the entire time because you can't see a Huru point from, from the base camp. So my eyes were on that the whole time. What I found is that was inspiring for maybe the first hour. Then it became really demotivating because I'd always I'd, I'd get myself stuck in the pattern of comparing how far I had left to go rather than appreciating how far I'd already gone. And let me promise you, at that altitude, your mind starts playing tricks on you. That point seemed to be moving further away the more we walked. I don't know how it happened, but I remember distinctly thinking that point is definitely not getting closer. And that becomes demoralizing. You know, it starts breaking down on your resilience mentally and emotionally because you think no matter how much effort you're putting in, you're not getting closer. And that's the mistake that I've made myself in my own goal setting for a long time. It's a mistake I've seen a lot of people make when they set goals. They get stuck in that how far they've got left to go and it breaks them down because they're always beating themselves up and the goal seems to move further away. 
So for me, learning to break it down into smaller goals that added up to the big goal, and if you're wondering, yes, I did make uh, Gilman's point, eight out of our nine team made Gilman's point, and we got a great team photo up there, then breaking it down was the only way that I got there. And I think that's the same with all our goals, but the bigger breakthrough, the more profound one, didn't actually happen until the next day. So when we came down, and no one tells you coming down from the mountain is just as hard as going up because when you get up there you get a quick photo and then all the guides went right we've got to get down as quick as possible because you guys are starting to really suffer from altitude sickness and it's dangerous to stay up here we were at the point where we just wanted to sleep and the rule of thumb is if you sleep at that altitude you will die it's that simple and I was getting to the point I mentioned before there was two moments where I thought I was going to die the first one I got really afraid and went no we need to keep moving I've got so much to live for but the scarier moment was when I was lying face down in the dirt and my mind went, go to sleep. And I had the sense to go, if I go to sleep here, I'll die. And my mind responded with, I don't care anymore. I've never been at that point in my life before where just lying there and accepting death seemed like the better option. And, and that terrified me um, in, in hindsight. You know, at the time, my body wanted nothing more than to just lie down and sleep. My mind wanted nothing more than just lie down and sleep. I walked past Jordan once on the way down, lying down, getting poked by the, the head guide, getting poked by his walking stick, saying, you cannot sleep here, get up and keep moving. So they rush us down the mountain. We go down in a straight line. It's more sliding and falling than it is walking or hiking because of how loose all the rock is. And it's a hard push to get, to get back to camp. Like There were so many times I just sat down and wanted to go to sleep and, and give up. I was done. And when I finally got back to camp two hours or two and a half hours after we got to Gilman's Point, I crawled into my tent and, and immediately went to sleep. Now, the next morning was actually my 25th birthday. And every year on my birthday, I get pretty reflective. I look back on my last year, how I'm feeling as a man, what have I done? Am I proud of who I am? Am I proud of what I've accomplished? And, and this year was, was interesting for me because I was feeling a very weird blend of, of very proud of what I'd achieved in the last year and of who I was as a man, but also a little bit disappointed in myself for not making a huru point. That was the goal I'd set myself. And if I wanted to climb Everest by the time I was 30, like I'd set the goal when I was 17, I had to reach a huru point for it to be ticked off as successful, which meant I would have to go back and do Killy in future. But on that hike that day on the way down, I had a lot of time on my own just to reflect and think about who I was and what I wanted. And I came to a quite a profound realization that the goal to climb Everest was a goal I'd set at 17 when I wasn't confident, when I wasn't happy in who I was, and when I felt really insignificant and undervalued. And I thought if I touched the highest point in the world, people would finally value me, they'd finally respect me, I'd finally feel significant, and I'd finally be confident. So it was a goal that was set from a place of pain and self-rejection rather than a goal that was set from something that I genuinely wanted to do for myself. And I found myself asking, do I actually want to climb Everest anymore? Do I even want to climb high mountains anymore? And, and what I realized was, no, I didn't anymore. It, they didn't have the relevance to me that they did when I was 17. And I think that's quite powerful because this goal that I've been holding on to so tightly for the last eight years of my life had started to rule me. It started to, I wasn't in charge of the goal anymore, it was in charge of me and it was creating struggles in my relationship like Chev and I would, would argue and Chev would get upset because she didn't want me to climb high mountains because of the risk 
and, and the danger of dying, which is completely understandable, but I couldn't see that, and it was walking down the next day where I looked back on the previous night and went, you know what, I am genuinely proud of where we reached, and more importantly, I, I see now so clearly that I value my relationship more than I value climbing high mountains, I value my health more than I value climbing high mountains, like I don't need to do this to prove a point to anyone anymore because I'm genuinely proud of who I am now. And that led to my most profound realization and, and biggest breakthrough on, on Kilimanjaro, which is everyone tells you to never give up on your goals. But what we don't realize is sometimes it's more beneficial and more valuable to learn how to identify goals that are holding you back and goals that you set from a place of pain that are no longer relevant to you and learn to let go of them. Now, I've come back and, and very happily let go of the goal of climbing to Everest Summit. I just don't feel I need to do it anymore. And when I asked myself if I wanted to do it, the answer was no. Um, and I've never felt, you know, I felt incredibly free. It was like a weight off my shoulders. Like something that I've been holding on to that had been restricting me for so long. The only way I can describe it is if I was holding on to a weight for eight years and I'd forgotten I was still holding on to it. The amount of relief from letting go of the weight and putting it down, that's how it felt. Um, so... Yeah, as I said, I did not expect that to happen on the mountain. I expected to go in, very easily get to Uhuru Point, and be on my way to climbing Everest by 30. And this was probably the most valuable, most profound, most unexpected breakthrough that could have happened to me. So with all that said, I'm going to quickly recap the five big lessons. And, and I do hope you got so much value out of this and that you can see how these lessons apply not only to climbing the highest mountain in Africa, but to facing any challenge that life poses. So to check back in and, and summarize the five big breakthroughs that I had on that mountain were that sense of playfulness and gratitude when approaching challenges and how much that helps us uh, overcome and deal with challenge. The sense of that uh, teamwork makes the dream work. You know, asking for help is, is okay. It's encouraged. It's the way to really face difficulties is by having a great social uh, network a great support team and this idea that if we fail to prepare we prepare to fail you know every challenge you face will be different so don't be cocky and arrogant coming into it um, and also recognizing that challenges will throw curveballs and we need to be in a position where we've put ourselves the best foot forward to adapt to those and the biggest two personally that I feel were the sense that there's always more in the tank even when you think there's nothing left to give, there's something in there. We just need to tap into it. And of course, the one we just looked at, this idea of learning to let go of a goal that was set from a place of pain or from a place of, of, of your past and it's not who you are anymore, so it's no longer relevant. As I said, I do hope and I, I, I believe I know, I'm going to say that I know that these lessons are so valuable to anyone facing any challenge in life. You know, obviously I learned them climbing Africa's highest mountain, but I think you can apply them to any challenge you face in life, um, no matter how big or small or, or what that challenge is. These lessons are incredibly valuable in helping you rise to the challenge and overcome it. So thank you again for investing your time into listening to this podcast and you know, I, I will say if you love this podcast and you love the content we're sharing, it would mean the world to me if you help me spread the word, share it on your Facebook, share it on your Instagram, um, you know, especially if you love a certain episode, throw it up on your Instagram story, invite friends to listen to this because I do this to change lives and I, I'm starting to get some great feedback from it. So it would mean the world to me if you can share the word 
uh, get more people on board with the podcast. And if you do, make sure you just add the hashtag BeYouWithJacquelineEdwards so I can check it out and, and give you guys a follow as well. But with all that said, I'm going to see you again next week with our next guest interviewee. And as always, from the bottom of my heart, be empowered, be exceptional, and be you.